Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sailorville Church uh, Virtual Online. Thanks for joining us and allowing us to come into your living rooms or wherever you're at uh, today uh, to worship and, just as we got done singing, adore the Lord Jesus. And really, today, I'm going to be preaching a message on adoring Him in person. Uh, imagine that. And it's uh, a message titled simply, The Rapture of the Church. Now, when I came in today, I kind of wondered if maybe the rapture had already occurred. I mean, looking at this place here with all of the empty chairs and whatnot. But we know better because that's still a future event, and everyone who actually knows Jesus will be a part of it. So just a little word before we get into it here this morning. This is our last virtual service so far as we know, and Lord willing, we will be back gathering in person next week at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 10 uh, or rather 11 a.m., and we'll be getting more information out in the days to come, Lord willing. So that said, I invite you, if you have a Bible, and gather your family together around those, uh, around those devices and, uh, and take in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I grew up in a very loving family, and I was a very religious person, went to church regularly, but the church that I attended and I grew up in, uh, their eschatology, and that's a theological word, which means their, their understanding of the future, was uh, uh, very, very surfacy. Uh, we would uh, do the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, which is a great document, at the end of which it would say one of the things that we believe is that uh, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That was the extent of my understanding of the future. So one day in my early 20s, and very shortly after I was married, uh, my sister came to our home. She had just read a book on prophecy. And she, she basically laid it all out there and even shared with me how the Bible itself talks about the future. And I was absolutely mesmerized by that conversation. And in fact, started looking up scriptures uh, after that to see, indeed, the Bible talks about uh, this glorious future for those who actually know Jesus. And, of course, we're talking specifically about the rapture of the church this morning. Uh, and the only way I can explain it is from Ecclesiastes 3.11, where Solomon says that God has set eternity in our hearts. In other words, all of us... Uh, Eternity, heaven, the future is sort of like a homing device within all of us. God created us that way. doesn't matter if you know God or you don't know God. There's something in you that desires to know the future. And God himself has put that into you and to me. And suddenly as I'm going back and forth with my sister on that afternoon, all of my attention was drawn to the return of Jesus and the fact that I was not ready for that return. The passage that I am about to read here in a few moments is the biggest, it's the greatest, it's the wildest. I can't come up with enough superlatives. It's the most spectacular, the most mind-boggling event to come for those who know Jesus as their Savior and for you out there who don't. We're talking about the rapture of the church. And just to let you know, in keeping with the text, this will disappoint some of you, but I hope not. I, wanna, I want to give the text 
all of its credence, all of its veracity without the timing element. Because in keeping with the text, I will not be dealing this morning with the differing views on the timing of the rapture, like the pre-tribulational view, the mid-tribulational view, the post-tribulational view. Those are all legit. Those are all worthy of discussion and debate. Great men and women differ on the timing of Jesus' return. But the fact that he's going to return is of no debate. We believe that. And Jesus, by the way, did tell his disciples just before he ascended up into heaven, and the angels would say uh, to the disciple, the angel that would appear and say, uh, this same Jesus you see going up in the clouds will come in like manner. Just before that, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. And that's all you got to know. We will not know, we cannot know, even though there are signs out there and we're living in them now, which draws me to the future, should draw you to the future. Is Jesus coming again? Yes, an emphatic yes. When is he coming? We don't know for sure, but we need to be ready. This passage is not about the debatable aspects of the timing of Jesus' return, but about the undeniable expectation and anticipation of the event itself. So it begs the question, are you ready? I wasn't when my sister came to visit me that day. But I would be, and it would be the very event this whole business of the return of Jesus and all the things that will happen afterwards that drew me eventually to a saving relationship with him. That said, I love this time of year, Thanksgiving just behind us, Christmas just before us, and there will be a lot of meals and celebrations. I love a great meal, especially this time of year. And if, uh, if this text on Jesus' return, were a meal, it would be a gourmet, multi-course meal, okay? So let's look at the menu, the text itself, and try to imagine it as I read it, and maybe you can follow along as well in your own Bibles, beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede or go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout or a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel or an, or an archangel, probably Michael, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, as I said, if, this is, if we could liken this to a gourmet meal, it would be wrapped in hope, filled with wow, topped with anticipation 
and served with comfort. That's how I want to look at this today. The return of Jesus. The return of Jesus is, first of all, wrapped in hope. You see the word there. We, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope in verses 13 and 14. Hope, when the Bible uses the word hope, it's, it's speaking of expectation. It's not like, oh, I hope this will happen. Just the opposite, in fact. And it is the big concern of this Thessalonian church. They were young. They were uninformed. This is, we get our word ignorant. They, they just didn't know. They didn't have the facts. They were worried about their loved ones who had died. The big concern here is the hope of their loved ones who have passed. Not chronology, not timing. What difference does all that make if you don't have any hope? And clearly some did not have hope. That's those who don't know Jesus. And some of you listening today, as we speak, you have no hope. Today, I hope you will. I hope, I pray, you will have hope. So where is the hope in this? Where is the hope that these Thessalonians who knew Jesus, where was their hope? Well, how about the fact that their, loves, their loved ones would wake up again? Their bodies, not their persons, that is. Did you notice the word sleep used a couple of times? We don't sorrow as those who have no hope about those who sleep. He refers to it a couple of times. Believers in Christ are asleep. That is their bodies. This is, this is by far the most beautiful euphemism found anywhere in the Bible. A euphemism is basically a nice way of saying a difficult thing. When somebody dies, we, you know, you don't go up and say, hey, sorry, your, your, your dad kicked the can. You know, I'm sorry, you know, he died. We say things like, I'm sorry he passed. We use euphemisms. The Bible euphemism is sleep. When I go to sleep, I expect to wake up again. Don't you? Sure you do. And so sleep is sort of a, a metaphor for death, for, especially for a Christian. By the way, the word cemetery, we don't think too much about it, but the word cemetery, it literally means sleeping place. And that's what it is. It's a place for those who know Christ. Their bodies sleep, not their souls. They are with Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When my wife died and at the, at the committal and hundreds and hundreds of people were gathered around this grave and I had my seven young children all around me sorrowing, but not as those who had no hope. And when my pastor and mentor stood before that grave and said, Nina will rise again, I can still remember, even as I just spoke it to you just now, hope surging through me. Because of the truth of God's word, which we have staked our lives upon. She was already awake in heaven, but her body slept until that day when Jesus wakes it up. So where is the hope? Well, it's in our belief that our loved ones will awake again. And it's also in the gospel itself. If you look at verse 14, he says this. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that is the most concise synopsis, that is the most concise synopsis of the, of the gospel you'll find anywhere in the New Testament, right there. You should underline that. That is the gospel. Christ died, Christ rose again, and of course it becomes gospel or good news when we, when we receive it. And so Paul says, I'm talking to you on the basis of the gospel itself. If you want to get in on the rapture, you better be in on the gospel. 
And notice he said, since we believe. He's assuming they have, he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who have, who have placed their faith in Jesus. He's assuming it to be true. And please, this is, this is where our hope comes in. God will bring with him. Do you see that at the end of verse 14? God, if we believe in the gospel, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, they're already, watch it, with him now. <laughs> because you can't bring something with you unless you actually possess it, right? Here God is saying, here's your hope, Christian. Those loved ones are with Jesus. They're coming with him when he comes for us. Months ago, a man in our church whose wife was and still is suffering from terminal cancer, asked me, he said, when did you lose your wife? And I didn't want to be a smart aleck, but I did say to him, my first words were, I didn't. <laughs> you haven't lost something if you know where it is. And I, from there, comforted him to know that when his wife goes to glory, and she will go to glory because she has a wonderful relationship with Jesus, he won't lose her. He'll know just where she is. And so do you with your loved ones. Be encouraged by that. And here's the point. Stop worrying about your saved loved ones who knew Jesus. They still know him. Jesus is coming again. And wait for it. So are they. That's hope. That gives us hope. More than one of my children, when struggling with the circumstances of life, have traveled the hour and a half from this place to the gravesite of their mother. There they have knelt at the gravesite in that cemetery filled with dead bodies, including their, their moms. Knowing that the real she, the real mom, is not there, and with the, with the assurance of the word of God, they're comforted with hope that there's coming a day when they'll be reunited because they're coming. She's coming with Jesus. Look at it again. God will bring with him. That's a promise. That's a meal. That's hope. That's blessed hope wrapped in hope. So, again, if this, if this is a gourmet meal, this, what we're looking at here, and it really is, it's, uh, it's not only wrapped in hope, but it's filled with wow. I mean, there's a saying among good chefs. They say, you eat with your eyes before you eat with your mouth. In other words, you always eat with your eyes first. Your eyes will almost tell you whether you're going to eat what's on that plate, right? That's why presentation is so important when it comes to a high-end restaurant. You get a chance to eat in one of those. So where's the wow here? Well, let me tell you something. Paul, is, Paul says, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, beginning of verse 15. That's the wow. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, believe it or not, or worse, I swear on my mother's grave, <laughs> or something more acceptable like God is my witness, and he's done that before. Instead, if you look at verse 15, Paul invokes nothing less 
than the authority of the word of God itself. Why does he do that? Because you never see him do this exact thing anywhere else in the New Testament. But here he does. I'm telling you on the basis of the word of God. What he's saying is, here's what he's saying. What I'm about to tell you, the wow I'm about to tell you, is going to blow your mind. I mean, it's so much so that I have to put the weight, the veracity of the word of God and its authority behind it in order to tell you about this. So where's the wow? It's in the authority of Scripture, and it's in the event itself. This amazing, this event, this, it, it comes out in amazing staccato-like sequence of events, and it all happens simultaneously, and every occurrence in this sweet sequence is unique in its own character and power, but, but we don't want to lose the power of the whole. So he says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. And thus we'll always be with the Lord. That's the whole. Now, let's look at some of these unique parts because this is part of the wow. Verse 16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. I was with a group of guys just the other day that have all come to Christ. They have differing uh, professions. I meet with them regularly. And I actually, we went over this passage. I asked them what stood out. And one brand new Christian, the thing that stood out was the pronoun himself. Look at it. Verse 16, the Lord himself. He caught that. He, he, and I thought, I'm so glad you caught that. I even showed him in my notes that I was going to emphasize that this morning. It's not like Jesus said, Michael, go down there and get my church. No. Jesus himself descended from heaven. As in the text, he's going to descend, that is, for you and me who know him. Because I know I'm talking to an audience of people who both know Jesus And there are many of you who don't. So drink this in. Jesus will either descend from heaven for you, or you will descend to hell from him, away from him. That's why you got to get ready for this event, because it could happen anytime. And please check out the wow in this passage, okay? This is filled with it. Look at it. There's a cry of command. There's a voice of an archangel. And there's the sound of the trumpet of God. I mean, this is Christmas time. And we're going to have a short series on, uh, with Christmas beginning next week as we put our study of Thessalonians aside until next, the early part of next year. What a contrast to Jesus' first coming, which was virtually, no pun intended, incognito the christmas story is this is god the god man coming out of heaven incognito not here there's a lot of commotion going on and what is this commotion all about again a cry a voice the sound of a trumpet the cry some of your bibles say a shout these are nothing less than bible time military terminologies 
the shout or the, or the cry of command, as the ESV puts it. Uh, nearly every warring nation has had or has a, a war cry in history. You can check it out. But this one, you know, if you check out those war cries, you find out it's the armies going, hurrah, or something like that. And they've got all kinds of noises, mostly onomatopoetic expressions, as they say it in unison, as they charge against the enemy. But this shout is not coming from the army. Maybe it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, our loved ones coming with Jesus, uh, shouting. We're not told specifically, but we have our own Savior, warrior himself, shouting. And what kind of shout is it? What's the purpose of the shout? Well, it's a wake-up call. That's what this is. It's a wake-up call. Because all who are in the graves, Jesus said in John chapter 5, will hear the voice of the Son of Man and come forth. It's a wake-up call. I meet every other week by way of Zoom with my siblings. I have eight brothers and sisters, all still alive. We still enjoy one another. We talk about things that we remember from the past growing up, our parents being gone now. And uh, one of the things I remember is how my dad used to wake us up every morning. Let me tell you something. It was not subtle. My dad had a loud voice. You know, you know the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here. And he would come into the bedroom, and we'd be in a dead sleep, and he'd go, everybody up, pop chop, let's go out of bed. And he'd slap his hands, and I mean, you'd be just like, oh, jeez. I mean, you'd, be, you'd just about fly and hit the ceiling. You're going to do more than hit the ceiling here, folks. You're going into the sky when you hear the shout, the cry of command of the Lord Jesus himself. Oh, this is just awesome. And then you got the archangel, the, the voice of the archangel. Okay, so while he's not sending Michael down to get his church, he is sending Michael. He is the archangel, as referenced in Jude chapter 9. He's the war, he is the war angel, battling demons in Daniel chapter 10, battling with Satan in Revelation chapter 12, warring, arguing, disputing over the very body of Moses in Jude chapter 9. And you get this trumpet, the, the trumpet sound that's mentioned. The trumpets are almost always in the New Testament connecting to the great second coming of Christ. Trumpets in Bible times had multi-purposes, but they're all applicable to this. Trumpets were used to announce special events and special times. Trumpets were used to gather God's people together. Is this not going to be a great gathering? Is this not a great event? And the other reason for trumpets were to declare war. The battle is on. All of that is happening here. All of that is happening in this passage. All of it. So what's happening with the archangel Michael and, and company? Why are they needed? Well, I don't know for sure. But if we believe there's an invisible warfare happening now, Ephesians 6 describes that invisible warfare, and so we do believe that. Listen, how much more when Jesus returns... When Jesus delivers the bodies of those that are lying in the grave in a decaying or completely decayed state. Listen, listen carefully to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 
in verse 26 tells us that the last enemy is what? You know what it is? It's death. Every death, listen to this, every death has the sweet smell of victory to the devil, to Satan. We hate funerals. He loves them. He loves death. Let me tell you something. Death might be the last enemy, but Jesus will have the last word. Our mighty Savior will exercise, listen to this, our mighty Savior will exercise the same omnipotence he exercised to raise Lazarus from the dead in one graveyard to raise millions of believers' bodies from thousands of graveyards. How awesome is this? This is wow. But he'll be slicing through enemy territory to pull it off. I think Michael and company are coming. I think there's going to be such pitch battle in the invisible realm at the time of the rapture. God has to call the host of heaven to come down against the fiends of earth. The prince of the power of the air and company, so to speak, from Ephesians 2. Where's the wow? (laughs) Well, if you haven't caught it now, how about the rapture itself? Look, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's a sequence here. Those who know Jesus, who are in the graves now, will rise first. Then, he says, we who are, that's the sequence, there's the timing element. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. So all this is going to happen very quickly. In fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says it'll take place in a Greek word, atomo. I mean, like we get our word atomic from this word, in a moment. In the twinkling, the flash of the eye, it all happens. And the next thing you know, we're there. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, I've heard this for years, and I remember the days when I was excited about Jesus coming back. But when is then? Again, we don't know. But we should be looking. Titus 2.13 says, looking for the blessed hope. That's, that, that Greek word means to have a look with expectation. Do you have that? Even Paul, the apostle, lived believing, anticipating that he himself would be a part of this. And don't miss it. He says it a couple of times. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive. He doesn't say you. He doesn't say those, that, you, know, in the, you, know, in, you know, thousands of years from now. He says we. Verse 17, then we who are alive and are left will be caught up. The apostle Paul lived his life fully expecting Jesus to come back. That's all you got to know. How do you live yours? Do you live it in such a way that you believe that Jesus is coming back? Let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, Jesus is coming either with you or for you. Either way, you will be part of the most spectacular event in human history. There's nothing compared to this. Talk about an event filled with wow. And speaking of anticipation, if this were a meal, okay, it would 
be wrapped, as we said, in hope, filled with wow. And it would be topped with anticipation. Last part of verse 17 is where I want your attention now. He says, when we, were, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them. That's our anticipation. Remember, this is still to come. Look at the word caught up. Look at that word. We're going to be caught up. That's where we get our word rapture. Not from the Greek word. It's actually a Latin word, rapturo, but that doesn't matter. It's the same sense. But this word caught up, this word is a very powerful word. It's, it means to seize. It means to snatch. It means to carry off by force. In fact, the implication in the word itself is that there, it, it's, it's going to happen by way of a power that cannot be resisted. That cannot be resisted. The same power that drew you to Jesus will be the same power that will rapture you, catch you up to Jesus. Ready or not. And this is the reason why John tells us in 1 John, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, that's the parousia, that's, the, that's one of those rich theological terms for Jesus is coming again, so that when he appears, we might have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his appearing. The word before means to be away from. It means to be, it pictures somebody being, oh my goodness, he's here, he's here. We don't want to go there. You don't want to be like Lot and his family who were told repeatedly, God's going to destroy this place. And the Bible tells us that they lingered, even though the angels were saying, this place is going to get annihilated. And then they had to grab them and pull them out. Which is going to happen. It's going to be for some of you. Some of you are going to be like Lot's wife. You just, you know Jesus, but you just, your, your love for this world, you're so grounded here in this world, you, you're going to look back. You won't turn into a pillar of salt. Praise God for that. But the attitude is the same. You want more anticipation? There's more in the text. This is so real. What a meal this text is. He, how about this? How about seeing those you've loved again? Just soak that in for a moment. How about seeing those you loved who knew Jesus? You get to see him again. Now I know the, you Jesus jukers out there, you're going to say, well, would there, why would we need any more incentive than just seeing Jesus? Listen, I think God knows our hearts pretty well, don't you? He knows how he created, he knows how, how we are incentivized. He knows you, he created us this way. In verse 17, let me show you just one very beautiful word, and here it is, together. There it is. Look at it again. It's all together. When we who are alive or who are left will be caught up together with them. What a beautiful word. That's that's incentive. That's anticipation. One of my profs during my theological training accurately alliterated his outline of this passage. I don't think you can improve upon it. He, we, you know, the Bible says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. He called that the return. 
uh, the, the dead in Christ will rise first. He outlined that, the resurrection. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's, that's the rapture. And then we'll be together with them. He called this the reunion. But I got a better word. Came from one of the Bible studies with some brand new Christians. We were going through this. I had, a, I, had a, I had an overhead projector in the home of someone years ago. And we were going through all of these you know, events, the sequence of what's going to be happening. And I got to the place and they'll be together. We, we just co- covered return, re- resurrection, and rapture. I said, what do you suppose this R is going to be? And, and here's a gal who was kind of had a little, little cowboy in her. She goes, the roundup. <laughs> I think I like that one better than the reunion. What a roundup it's going to be. Topped with anticipation. All of this in the rapture of the church. And finally, if this spectacular event were a meal, it would be served with comfort. And that's how he concludes it in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Where's the comfort? Well, we'll be with Jesus. That is the ultimate comfort. Remember, these Thessalonians were worried about their loved ones and that they might be missing out on this. They will not, and neither will yours. Look at it again. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. So that's where this is all going to happen. And the word meet uh, had a technical meaning behind it, the word M-E-E-T. It basically meant to meet somebody who, a dignitary, somebody of royalty. We are going to meet our Savior, our Lord, our King, the King of Kings. Imagine, would you, imagine taking the hand of your loved ones, You've not seen in a long time. And together, meeting King Jesus for the first time. Would that be comforting? Sure it would. Sure it will. Is it any wonder that Paul sort of brings us back to earth, so to speak, with his final words in verse 18? So so comfort one another. Encourage one another with these words. And speaking of bringing us back to earth, what's the so what in all of this lesson? I mean, besides just the being so spectacular, so anticipatory, so, so much expectation, so much hope, so much encouragement. What's the, what's, the, what's the practical aspects that come out of this? I, I hope you already have them. I don't think I need to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. What are the... What are the so what's? Let me give you three of them here and we'll be done. First, Jesus' return can comfort you in your sadness. Are you bereaved? You've lost a loved one? I just got a message moments before I walked into the pulpit of a dear saint who I knew, loved, and pastored many years ago, over 100 years old, finally went to be with Jesus today. Her family's bereaved, but... They'll see her again. If you're bereaved or you're lonely or you're just overwhelmed with life itself, I get it. Right now during COVID, a lot of us are overwhelmed with life itself. 
let this comfort you in your sadness. Jesus is coming again. Secondly, Jesus' return can correct you in your presumptions. Are you really convinced you're going to live to be old? I know we'd all like to live to be old. Some of us more than others. But the return of Jesus, the anytime return of Jesus, is, should be a reminder that your life is but a vapor, as James, James puts it. And remember, that Jesus even told a parable. In Luke chapter 12, he told a parable of this man who was filthy rich and had all these barns filled with grain. You remember it. He's, he doesn't have any more room. What's he going to do? Is he going to give it away? Is he going to help the poor? Is he going to be gospel-centered? What's he going to do? No, he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll just build bigger barns. And Jesus had one word for him and one word for you whose life is filled with presumption because the way you're living your life, you're going to live a long life, you're going to live a healthy life, you're going to live a wealthy life. Here's the word. Fool. You're being a fool. The return of Jesus should correct you from your presumptions. It really should. And finally, the return of Jesus can cleanse you from your sinfulness. Now we know it's the blood of Jesus that does that, but God uses vehicles by which he brings us to himself, and it was his return that brought me to him. John tells us in John, 1 John chapter 3, he tells us that, behold, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. What a, what a great expectation. And then he concludes that with these words. And anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Just as he, that's Jesus, is pure. So that's what I mean by saying that the return of Jesus has a cleansing aspect to it. From your own sinfulness. Just the other day. A little girl came home from her Christian school. She was deeply moved to repent, and that's the word she used to her parents. Repent to family and friends and neighbors. Where did that come from? Well, the mom and dad found out that it came from her godly teacher who in her class that day talked about the return of Jesus and said, you need to repent because Jesus could come back in the next five minutes. Listen, if the rapture of the church can motivate a child to get right with God and others, how about you? Notice I said all of these, I said it can cleanse you, it can correct you, it can comfort you. Didn't say it will because that's up to you whether you allow it to. Do you have hope in Jesus? Is this hope in you? Is your hope in Christ? Is Jesus just outside of your life looking in right now? Here's what he said to a church in Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will listen, hear my voice, invite me in, I'll sit down and I'll have a meal with him. And what a meal.
what a meal that will be. You've been invited to this meal. Are you coming? Because he is. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus himself, who himself will come for us. And we long for that day. And we pray with the writer of Scripture, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come. I pray, God, that you would use your word, this message, these feeble words to speak to many hearts. Shake the believer from all of those things that are encumbering him or her right now to draw close to you and be ready for you. Convict the unbeliever watching and listening out there, God. If that's you, dear friend, you're sitting in your living room and you'd say, I know about Jesus, but I don't know Jesus, and I'm certainly not ready for him to come. Would you believe that Jesus, just as the text says early on, died for you? Would you believe that he rose again for you? Right now from your heart, would you confess with your mouth that he is Lord? Would you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Would you trust him? Trust him right now. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need you. Come into my life. Save me. Make me your child so that I can be ready for your return. Will you do that? If you have, will you let us know? God, we thank you for this blessed hope, the rapture of the church. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.